It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. What about scarves? You put me in fashion, then I'm done. What about scarves? I guess I'm done. What about scarves? I guess I'm done. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 656 of Locked On Raptors for late on a Wednesday, early on a Thursday, February the 6th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network, where we have team-focused shows covering all 30 NBA teams. If a team in the NBA has made a trade ahead of the deadline, there is a very good chance there's already a breaking news emergency Locked On podcast covering that trade from the local perspective from both sides. So make sure you're uh, getting in there and, and listening to all the local experts on all the trades going down in the NBA today. And make sure you're also going to the Locked On NBA Net the uh, on Twitter, at Locked On NBA Net. The pinned tweet, follow the instructions there, predict a trade correctly down to the particulars, the draft picks and all that stuff, and you have a chance to win tickets to go see your favorite team play basketball in person. So get on that. All right, on today's show, excuse the porous audio quality as I'm recording on the iPad from inside Scotiabank Arena after the Raptors' thrilling 119-118 victory over today's guest's very favorite team. It is Joe Wolfon from The Score. What's going on, buddy? Um, I'm despondent, man. I mean, just a brutal... <laughs> gutting loss for my Pacers and um, I don't know what to say man they they threw it away <laughs> they surely did uh, the, the question coming into this game was what about scarfs Serge, Serge Ibaka certainly answered that in many many ways uh, before and during the game uh, the question I have after that game is what the hell happened in the final minute of this game to lead to the Raptors winning at one point with I think 208 to go. It was 118, 110 for the Pacers. The Raptors seemed like they were kind of out of it. Their offense was not quite ticking. And I, I, I literally wrote in my notes at one point that probably does it when I think it was 114, 103 or something like that after a big Brogdon shot. And the Raptors don't quit. The Raptors are insane. They are admirable in all of these nice words you want to throw around for this just insane gritty bunch and they pulled out 119-118 Serge Ibaka hitting the game winning three with 29 and a half seconds left and then the Raptors defending their asses off for the final 29.5 to secure the victory Terrence Davis forces a turnover with a nice strip on Malcolm Brogdon late in the game and uh, the clock runs out no timeouts it was beautiful that was the argument for no timeouts by the way and like no no live ball timeouts at least uh, it was like a perfect thrilling exhilarating finish what the hell happened in that final stretch of the game for the Raptors to pull this one out? I mean, the Raptors just like have this switch, right? Or a gear or something where it just seems like when they really need to, mm-hmm. they can cover an insane amount of ground, play like this hyperactive pressuring defense, whether it's the full court press or just throwing traps and recovering, but like they swarm like maniacs. 
And they did that for basically like the last three minutes of this game. Mm -hmm. Um, And it involved a lot of presses in the backcourt. One of those led to an incredible Pascal Siakam steal at midcourt as the Pacers tried to get it across, uh, you know, the timeline. And that was like maybe the play of the game to me when he just like reached back, got that steal, and then just immediately took it like straight to the basket for a layup (laughs) to cut the lead to two. Um, Oladipo goes for maybe like an ill-advised ISO that ends in a missed floater. And then you end up with, I don't exactly know how the possession unfolded, but it basically wound up with Siakam kicking the ball to Lowry up top. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pacers somewhat panicked, sent two guys running at Lowry. He swings it to the wing to Ibaka, who lets it fly with Sabonis closing out on him. And I did not expect the shot to go in. <laughs> like, for one thing, and I know it, it hasn't really been the case so much um, the last couple years. Like, Serge has gotten a lot better at hitting clutch threes. I mean, Ben Simmons can attest to that. Yeah. The Washington Wizards, who he hit that huge game-winning three <laughs> against last year, can attest to that. He's hit some some clutch threes lately, and obviously he hit a, a massive one to put them up one. And then and then the Pacers don't call a timeout, even though I, I believe they did have one left. Mm-hmm. And come down the floor, and it's, it, it's just pure chaos, this last possession. Uh, most of it caused by Kyle Lowry. Yeah. So Nick Nurse referred referred to this play uh, in in pretty great detail in the postgame. So, again, it was about 140 left, I think, was the last time out of the game. And they had said, okay, we're going to uh, blitz the next Malcolm Brogdon pick and roll and and force the ball out of his hands. And then a lot of stuff took place. There was a couple stoppages, free throws, the Siakam steal, uh, and then the, 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 the Serge Ibaka possession where he put the Raptors up by one. And through all that, the Raptors remembered, oh, yeah, we got to blitz Malcolm Brogdon the next time he runs a pick and roll a minute 40 after the fact with a whole bunch of actual, like, real time in between. And they did it. They blitz him. Kyle Lowry steps up beautifully on Demonis Sabonis. Sabonis looks a little bit sort of confused as to where he wants to throw the ball. He gets it over to Oladipo, who misses a three. Uh, and then there's a, the mad scramble for the ball as well. Well, so I yeah. think, yeah, what I, I just want to stop and like talk about that that Lowry <laughs> made because it was yeah. incredible. But, like, and I think what confused Sabonis is when the pick and roll gets blitzed and the big is catching the ball in the short roll. That rotation is usually coming from, like, the weak side corner. Mm-hmm. So he's looking to make that pass, and it's not there because the rotation actually came from the top. Yeah, Lowry was guarding uh, Oladipo on the wing, and he made that rotation down from the top and totally bamboozled Sabonis, who suddenly realized, like, he didn't actually have a place to throw that pass to. Mm-hmm. He makes a quick pivot, and he does hit Oladipo, who gets a decent look at a three. But Lowry makes a recovery, closes out on it, and I won't say he forced the miss necessarily because, like, I think there was definitely enough space that Oladipo could have knocked that down. But and he's still not looking right. So yeah, yeah. you know, his his jumper is all kind of off uh, ever since he came back from from that injury. But um, but Lowry does make the recovery and does close out. And then after there's like a mad scramble for that rebound and Oladipo winds up with it in the corner. Lowry comes and traps him there, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very heady play. And then I basically lost sight of the ball for a second. Don't entirely know what happened to it. I thought maybe it hit somebody or hit a referee or like somebody sitting courtside out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and credit but, to Oladipo for saving it because he did like like football hiked it all the way up yeah. to the top of the arc. Yeah, I have no idea how the ball like came out of there without going out of bounds, but. It did, and then uh, Brogdon winds up with it and makes a drive that 
could have been quite fortuitous if not for a timely strip from, I believe, Terrence Davis. Yeah, both T- uh, Fred and Terrence Davis were in there, but Terrence Davis getting the closing minutes, by the way. Uh, quite Deservedly a change. So. Oh, yeah. Fucking awesome. He was game. so, so good in this game. He had 11 points. He was 4-9, 3-7 from 3. Uh, a couple of those threes came in the third quarter, which we should probably talk about. The third quarter was really cool. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. <laughs> the Raptors had a disastrous second quarter where they lost 43-18. Uh, it was 42-18, yeah. and then an Oladipo three at the buzzer was then uh, <laughs> changed over to a, a three later to add insult to injury. And after, like, a pretty good 30-20 first quarter where the Raptors' defense was pretty smothering, that second quarter was pretty demoralizing. And in the third, they were sort of chipping away, not really. And then Serge Ibaka picks up, I believe, his fourth foul pretty early on with about seven or six or seven minutes left in the quarter. And, you know, Nick Nurse, and citing after the game, maybe it being a little bit of a physical matchup for Chris Boucher to handle, decides to go small with Pascal and OG in the front court and Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, and uh, Terrence Davis. And then later, McCaw in for Fred Van Vliet to close the quarter. And they run that pretty much to the end of the quarter, I think. And they were pretty good with it. I think they were 23-11 in the minutes where they went small against the Pacers, and a lot of that was against the Sabonis-Turner front court. What was your reaction when you saw them go small against that big lineup, and what did you think of how it looked? I wouldn't necessarily try that for long stretches again. I mean, they went to it out of necessity. It worked well, and, and Siakam is a huge reason that it did. Like He definitely had some offensive struggles in this game. Mm-hmm. He closed really strong offensively, but like for the first two and a half, three quarters, he was... Missing every layup, like he he was matched up on uh, Malcolm Brogdon, yeah, and they were feeding him post ups, and he couldn't hit anything. Um, I thought he was forcing it a bit, and wasn't really doing a great job of handling double teams either. So, um, in spite of that, his defense, I think the entire game was fantastic, and yeah. obviously, like him playing the five, like that doesn't work if he is not uh, playing that position exceptionally well. Uh, they went to a bit of zone as they're want to do, and. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, with that look, it's definitely fine where Turner is concerned. Like, mm-hmm. you don't worry about him as a guy who's going to brutalize you inside. Mm-hmm. He's not a post-up threat. I'm totally fine sticking a smaller defender on him. Uh, he's mostly just spacing out anyway. I mean, Sabonis, Sabonis hurt them, like, all yeah. game. And he didn't have a huge scoring night, but, like, the kind of defensive attention that he was receiving and what he was doing with that defensive attention and how the Pacers were leveraging it even if he didn't touch the ball, you had guys crowding the middle when he was posting up. Mm-hmm. Um, you got you have guys like kind of leaning in his direction, uh, whether it's you know on the pick and roll or just like on post ups, and and the Pacers are making the skip pass and hitting open shooters, and that was a huge reason that they got so many threes in this game was like all the attention that was being paid to Sabonis. You know whether 
whether he was getting the ball and getting doubled or kick- and kicking it out, um, or or whether the Pacers were just getting open looks because so much attention was being paid to him in the middle of the floor. But they survived those minutes going small. Uh, they're able to bring Serge back. He does pick up that fifth foul, I think, with like maybe eight seven, minutes left. Yeah, it was a while left. while to go. And he manages to finish the game without picking up a sixth. And obviously, that was hugely important. <laughs> um, but but I think you know, like the Raptors' ability with that what with that smaller lineup to kind of send double teams and scramble. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's that's what makes them such an impressive defense. Like, they've been doing it all season. Like, they're really aggressive with their doubles, with their traps, and they recover well enough that uh, they're not getting killed with it. Like, yeah. the, the fact... I've always just, like, been a little bit uh, skeptical of hyper-aggressive defenses. They I think always... we literally talked about it on this podcast, like, yeah. two months ago. Yeah, 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 I remember that. And, like, I, they just have always been, like, a little bit gimmicky to me, and, like, they scare me because they're high variance, and, like, you do give up a lot of threes. The Raptors give up a ton of threes, a ton of corner threes, but they scramble and recover well enough and also protect the paint well enough to make mm-hmm. it work. And I, this was not their best defensive game by any means, but those last, you know, four or five minutes... Uh, it, it was really smothering, yeah. yeah. And the, the the press really messed with the Pacers. And, you know, Nurse kind of talked about the sort of the, just like the collective effect of one of those possessions working out and this and it sort of gets in the offense's head. Yeah. And you saw that definitely play out. Uh, they, I mean, they still, their defense did not work to their advantage a lot in this game. I mean, like you said, they give up a lot of open threes. They have 39 threes in this game and 19 of 39 went in. Yeah. For the and Pacers. the Pacers are a low volume yeah. one shooting team. Too. Yeah. So that's, um, I think that tells us something right there. It's like they're on the one hand, maybe you say it's a good thing because they actually force teams to change the way that they play. Mm-hmm. But you also have to be willing to live with the variance. And if you give up a lot of threes, this was what's going to happen. I tweeted yeah. this during the game, but like the Pacers are a really good jump shooting team, mm-hmm. and it's telling that like they've had above average offenses the last couple of seasons, despite the fact that they have like they've been bottom five in three point attempt rate and free throw attempt rate. Mm-hmm. So that just tells you how good they are at shooting mid-range jumpers. And you make those mid-range jumpers three-point jumpers, like, <laughs> you know, like that, that could come back to burn you. And it did for a while. Yeah, um, and credit to that bench lineup in particular that we talked about with Sabonis running with the holiday, <laughs> uh, Doug McDermott and TJ McConnell. Yeah. Like, it just, they, they, they cut really well. They move constantly around Sabonis. It's just kind of like a moving orbit type of thing. Uh, and it worked really, really well. And it almost totally sewered them in this game. I mean, McDermott had 19 points, as he's wont to do against the Raptors. Uh, Justin Holiday, also a former Bull. I don't think he was a Bull during the streak, <laughs> but yeah, you know, come in just like he's got the, the pixie very, dust the there. Yeah, it. it's it's a little still terrifying. Uh, and, and they were excellent. But yeah, I, back to the small lineup for a second. And we talked about this yesterday on the podcast with Tony East from Locked On Pacers. And I was, you were surprised when I brought this up to you at the start of the game, talking about how the Pacers suck at rebounding. They're like the number 25 team in the league in rebounding rate overall, number 27 in offensive rebounding yeah. rate, 24 in defensive rebounding rate. And I wonder if that might have played in a little bit to the Raptors sort of getting away with going small, right? I mean, mm-hmm. against Turner and Sabonis, you would think 
the size mismatch there is pretty extreme, but OG is a pretty good rebounder. He he can carve out space, even though he didn't have a great game today, only three boards and he didn't score. Right. Um, but uh, they did a really good job of gang rebounding. Kyle Lowry and Terrence Davis are very good rebounders for their size, obviously. Lowry had eight in this game. Davis only had three, but you could I, I think I could picture all three of them throughout the course of the game, and they were all big ones when they were small, I think. Fred Van Vliet yeah. had one of the coolest rebounds that I've seen when he just flew in from the weak side and basically ripped the ball. Like, Miles Turner standing right in the basket <laughs> waiting for the ball to come to him. And Van Vliet just like flew in uh, and grabbed an, an incredible weak side rebound. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, to, to speak to your point about about the Pacers and their rebound, like that's an indictment of Turner, I think, more than anything. Like mm-hmm. he was not a very good rebounder for his size. But, um, you know, and the fact is, too, like when, the way they play defense with those two guys on the floor is Turner is the guy who's sagging back and protecting the rim, and Sabonis is out there chasing quicker fours on the perimeter and that's an issue because Sabonis is a much better rebounder than Turner is so mm-hmm. oftentimes it's Turner who's you know being left down there to rebound and he's not a great rebounder and and Sabonis isn't in rebounding position because he's stretching he's chasing stretch fours um you know beyond the three-point line so maybe that's part of it um and obviously you know Turner is a floor spacer offensively mm-hmm. so he's not in position to offensive rebound either so bonus, I think, is a really good offensive rebounder, and the fact they didn't ki- get killed yeah. on the offense, like on their own glass, yeah. uh, while going small against him, um, I think is just uh, a credit to the guys who you know were playing in that small lineup and were boxing out and gang rebounding. Like that's hugely important. Yeah, I'm curious. Like you said, it's not something that, and Nick Nurse even after after the game kind of suggested it's not something he wants to do a lot. And it was kind of you know not having Gasol, Boucher maybe not being cut out for the matchup, and just sort of a necessity thing. Yeah, uh, that was that was the reason it kind of came out. But it's nice to see that they have that in their repertoire now, right? And this is what the regular season's about: eighty-two practices, baby. Like it, check to see if it works, and, yeah. and it did. And I'm curious to see if maybe we'll see it again on Friday against the Pacers or against other teams down the line. Maybe not ones that run out two traditional bigs, but they're, the Rockets don't have any centers. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it'll work. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was really cool. Other stuff from this game, I mean, you mentioned Pascal and his offense being a little bit ragged early on. I thought you were right. You know, he was a little sort of – he was forcing it a little bit, and they were sending a lot of bodies to him at the rim. Like, they were really collapsing down on him, and he was not – finding the open man in the corner or, or from wherever the help was coming. But he, he was still, I think, really good when it came to diagnosing double teams in the post. He had five assists in this game, only mm-hmm. one turnover. Uh, and I think that's sort of the growth you've seen. There were a couple, and even Serge Ibaka, too, sort of on the inverse of that. Some yeah. beautiful passes as well. Serge's playmaking has come so far. And yeah. like, it's still like below average for sure. Yeah. But the the strides that he's made just in like being able to make passes on the move, yeah. like being able to read the defense, it's like, man, like for a guy to make those kind of adjustments and like the way that he reads the game at that stage of his career is pretty incredible. Yeah, and um, he had two enormous ones in this game, right? Yeah. Like the the one on the beautiful cut uh, by Pascal on the baseline, and then like a really nice big to big feed uh, with Pascal just, like, just completely wide open under the basket, so. Uh, yeah, you're, sorry, I cut you off there. No, but I'm, and and this isn't, you know, you're talking about his passing, but there was another play where, like, I was actually frustrated with him for passing up what looked like a pretty open three, and he instead attacked a closeout, and I'm like, that's not what Serge Ibaka should be doing, but mm-hmm. he ends up taking it all the way to the basket for, like, a pretty, it wasn't quite a Euro step, but it was a pretty nice, like, finger roll in traffic that he finished, and it's just not stuff that Ibaka was doing two years ago. <laughs> 
and, and I, I was just kind of gobsmacked by it. And I like, I'm, I'm continually impressed by the fact that he's making these sort of incremental improvements. And like, I thought he like for large portions of this game, he was pretty bad defensively. Like yeah. he was a big part of what was wrong with the Raptors defense in this game. Yeah. Uh, he can be good defensively. He's been up and down at that end of the floor this season, I think, but I, this is as good as I think he's ever been as an offensive player. Uh, especially now that his three-pointer has, like, come back to where it was before last season. And then some, yeah. Like, an uncharacteristically bad three-point shooting season last year. Mm-hmm. And now he's right back up to close to 40%. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like, I, just a credit to him that he has continued to round out his game despite, you know, being in, I, I don't know, what, his 12th season now? Like, yeah, he's, he's been around man. a long time. He's so. been at least in the league for 10 years because of uh, how long he's been wearing scarves. So, <laughs> <laughs> we know that for sure. Right. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring, but for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Um, we should probably talk about Kyle Lowry a little bit. Mm. I mean, he was not even mentioned in like Nick Nurse's postgame, despite having 32, 8, and 10 on 12 of 21, 3 of 6 from downtown. Kind of carried them through some stretches in this game. Uh, where, like like we said, Pascal's offense was not there, although Pascal took over late and was just, like, hunting free throws and hunting Sabonis and very eager to, to drive and just sort of walk to the free throw line. But Lowry, I mean, like, what do we even say at this point? I know it's been eight years of this now, or whatever it's been. It was This was, like, a vintage Lowry game in every kind of way, and I'm not even mad about the 38 minutes, considering they've been actually kind of bringing those down lately, and it was very necessary in this big game against good competition that you don't want to, like... I was thinking, halfway through this game, crap, we're going to have to talk about how the Raptors suck against good teams again, because <laughs> that would have been the thing, to have the, the win streak against bad teams ended by a good team. But Lowry and this, like, just, like, huge clutch threes as well. He's amazing. Yeah, and the the huge clutch threes are great, obviously. Yeah, but you know we've known that he like he has that ability in him, right? He's been a good shooter for you know his entire Raptors tenure. Mm-hmm. And the thing that has just like continually surprised me this season is how you know aggressive he has been, kind of getting downhill, getting into the teeth of the defense, and how good he is at finishing for a guy his size. Like we we talk about you know Van Vleep's struggles finishing at the rim and chalk it up to his being really small and Lowry should have those same struggles but he he's got a just like an enormous amount of guile where he gets guys off balance he pump fakes them he has the timing to kind of just sort of wait for them to fly by and like does a really good job of shielding the ball 
And he's just got that lower body strength that allows him to, like, keep defenders on his hip mm-hmm. and not block him. Uh, even when, like, he, he was going in there and finishing around Miles Turner. Like, this dude is one of the best shot blockers in the league. <laughs> he's fucking seven feet tall. Yeah. And, and Lowry is just, like, getting there and finishing no problem. Like, I... That's the thing that has impressed me most about this season from him because the last couple of years, it has looked at various points like that part of his game just wasn't really there anymore. Yeah, like turning the corner, getting downhill, finishing at the basket, like it, he wasn't doing it. And like both, both his rate of like drives, uh, the number of shots he's taking at the rim, and his free throw rate, yeah, have all skyrocketed this year. And and knowing that that is all still there for him and is, you know, he's going to turn 34 soon. Like, yeah. That's unbelievable because like you get to a certain point and if you're not doing that anymore, you really just assume that it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy is a marvel of modern science. Like, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. He's amazing. Yeah. He like, there was a stretch in this game where like Pascal was getting stopped at the rim. Every time he tried to go up, there was, you know, Fred was having his typical misses around the rim. Like Rhonda had a couple misses, you know, Serge was having his issues around the rim because of the, the sort of collapsing defense. The bases were playing and, and miles Turner just being everywhere. And then Lowry had like three or four straight possessions where he just drove, put a dude on his hip. I like how you're calling it lower body strength as opposed to just big ass. Uh, and we use euphemism. Yes, right? uh, you know we got to diversify our language, obviously. But he, you know, he he just like there were three or four possessions in a row where he was just the only guy who could get anything at the rim around these behemoths, and it just it's the most Kyle Lowry shit ever. He's he's remarkable. He was so good in this game. And, like, I'm glad that they won this game because there have been a lot of Kyle Lowry games this year where he kicks ass and they lose by a couple points. Yeah, including the last time they played the Pacers. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And so it was nice to see them pull this one out. And I'm looking forward to Friday, man. This is a fun matchup. I like the little miniseries element of it all. So you see some adjustments and stuff like that. You know, adjustments, my favorite word in the world. I uh, can't wait to see how that's all going to play out. Uh, and we'll see, I guess, if there are any sort of moves made by the Pacers uh, to counteract what the Raptors did to win this game in the second half. Um, we should probably quickly touch on the news of the evening away from the court. The Miami Heat picking up Andre Iguodala, maybe Danilo Gallinari at some point, maybe somebody else. I have no idea. It's all over the place in terms of the reporting. We don't really have an idea, uh, you know, what's going on. I'm going to check the latest Woj tweets to see if anything's up. Uh, oh, whoa, it's one minute ago. Miami, Memphis, and Oklahoma City are working on an elaborate three-team deal that would land the Heat, both Andre Iguodala and Danilo Gallinari. League sources tell ESPN talks are ongoing and could extend into Thursday. Cool. Uh, <laughs> thoughts on that? I was not worried about Andre Iguodala going to the Heat because he's it's basically 2016 Joe Johnson. I don't know how valuable he's going to be. You know, Maybe I'm underestimating what Andre Iguodala is worth. Danilo Gallinari, though, that's a problem. He's very good and adds a bit of an offensive punch to a team that I think kind of lacks it in big moments. And uh, I don't know. That's a little scary. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't I would love it if they got Gallo. Um, it still seems hard to work, though. Well, they, they are apparently – they're sending Winslow to Memphis yeah. in the Iguodala deal. Yeah. So I don't know what they have left to trade – Unless the assets are coming from Memphis, yeah, going to OKC, and that's how the Gallo part is getting done. Because I don't think Miami has enough left mm-hmm. on their roster in their asset chest to 
get Gallo after sending out Winslow? Like, they, what, what else do they have to trade? And right? this will be out of date by the time this posts, probably. But, yeah. you know, maybe it's like a first from Memphis because they're getting Winslow. Yeah. Or, like, and, I don't know, Kendrick Nunn. But, like, yeah. Yeah. And they have enough salary to, like, make it work, right? Yeah. They have, like, all those, you know, expiring deals, James Johnson. All those horrid, horrid contracts that Pat Riley signed. And now he just signed Andre Gadala to. Perhaps a horrid yeah, contract. Yeah, they extended him. Yeah, although I guess there's a player option on that 2021, 2022. Option, yeah. Or sorry, a team. So that's good for their you know pursuit of free agents in 2021, yeah. I guess. But um, does the knowledge that – and this kind of is similar to last year, right, where the Raptors kind of knew exactly what the Sixers did when they made the Tobias Harris trade, mm-hmm. and then they knew that Nikola Mirotic was going to the Bucks mm-hmm. as well before they made the Gasol trade. Do you think this should change how the Raptors view the deadline? Does it change no. how you feel about it at all? No, no. I mean, I, I'd be a little bit concerned if they got Gallo because I think he fits there really nicely offensively. And I think you're right. Like, they do, um, they do lack a bit of punch at that end of the floor. Like, they don't have a ton of shot creation. I don't think, like, they're heavily reliant on guys like Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn and, like, Man, Duncan Robinson's been really effing good, but... He's also come, a really bad defender. Come playoff time, uh, he's, he's fine. Like, Gallo's a bad defender, too, and that's the thing. Like, yeah. Um, especially having given up Winslow, like, if they do pull in Gallinari, and, I mean, you know, presumably Robinson, Nunn, if those guys are still around and still part of the rotation, like, Dragic, too, like, those guys are all subpar defenders, and and... It's something I wrote about recently, actually, but, like, that's a big reason that the Heat have played so much zone defense this year. Is yeah. Like, They're a sneaky, not very good defensive team. Well, like, Winslow has been out for most of the year. I think he's played, like, 10 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and guys in their regular rotation are guys like Myers Leonard, um, you know, Robinson, Nunn. Like, those guys are not good individual defenders, but they can be fine in a zone. Like, mm-hmm. if you're just guarding an area instead of a player, like, it can be tenable. Um so I think, you know, they would have to do the same thing with Gallinari. Like, he can be exposed defensively, and if they're playing him and, like, another minus defender on the floor at the same time, that becomes really difficult for a defensive scheme around in the playoffs. And, like, yeah, they can go to that zone, but, like, the more they play that zone, the more exposure it gets, the more liable it's going to be to get picked apart. And... um It would scare me a bit, Gallo being there, but I think there are some drawbacks to that, too, and, like, I... I don't necessarily think that, that makes the Heat better than the Raptors. I don't think it should change the Raptors' strategy at the deadline. I don't think I would worry too much. And I think that for them to have, have traded Winslow for Iguodala is insane and yeah. idiotic to me. It's so dumb. It's like, like, it, like, I don't see how that tangibly improves them. Like, maybe I'm underestimating 35-year-old Andre Iguodala who hasn't played I in months. I think he's months. 36. Yeah. He's 36. I just, I don't He hasn't don't played in eight months, and he wasn't that good last time. He, he was played. shit in the regular season last year, yeah. and then he anthed up a bit for the playoffs. Yeah, like but a I wouldn't few say, good playoff Yeah, games, I wouldn't but. say he was like elite wing defender shut down Andre Iguodala no, like last he, year. No, he was he, fine. He had his moments, Yeah, and there are certain things that he brings to the table, but he can't really shoot. Um, he certainly doesn't have any gravity. Like, even if he can, like, knock down 35% of his threes, no defense is guarding him out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a very smart player. He's a heady passer. Like, he cuts. Like, he'll work great in a heap system that is reliant on IQ and on mm-hmm. movement and passing. Like, that's a good place for him to land. But he's worse than Winslow. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
Um, I guess Winslow, like, being unhealthy is, you know, I guess that's the upgrade, is you get a guy who right. has been resting for months and just only maybe has golf injuries. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but he, the guy is 36. Like, yeah. is that the guy that you want to be relying on to stay healthy? Yeah. I, I just don't really get it. I, we can leave it on this. Just if you're worried about how this sort of plays into a Raptors matchup. And again, I think the Raptors are most likely to not do anything at the deadline. I think that's kind of been out there. I know I've been all day long just screaming the word Bogdan to people all day. Uh, It sounds like the deal that the Kings made with the Dwayne Dedman thing makes it a little bit more likely that they have the money to keep him this summer, which, bummer. But maybe it's a smokescreen trying to get more out of the Raptors. Uh, (laughs) Okay, well, uh, so what are you giving up in a Bogdan trade? My my theoretical trade is McCaw, Johnson, and two firsts, which I'm cool with. Mm -hmm. Firsts are Monopoly money. I don't care. Two first. Flags fly, for, fly and you, forever, and you think I don't that, care. Do you think that's enough? Like, you're... I don't know if it's enough, but the Kings are tough because the Kings are stupid, yeah. so I don't know. Would you do Norman a first? Norman a first gets tricky. <sighs> I don't know. The off-season thing with him is difficult, right? Like it's With Bogdan. Yeah, with yeah. Bogdan. And, and if you... I, I guess if you trade Norm, then you have a little bit more money to work with in mm-hmm. terms of the next couple of years. And Bogdan should be a movable piece if you need to clear salary cap space in the, right. in the future. But that's a tough one. I think I'd probably do it as much as I love Norm. What I, I think Bogdan prefer- kind of offers a little bit more than like yeah. in like stable creation. Um, do you hear this report like the Suns are shopping Kelly Oubre? I would mess with that. Yeah. <laughs> if that, and I don't know if the Norm and first package would get it done for Oubre. I might instinct is it probably wouldn't mm-hmm. um and that situation is different because he's under contract for like three more years after this one yeah uh and he's 24 yeah bogdanovich has only been in the league for a couple of years but he's 27 like yeah. he's not a spring chicken necessarily but like if you could get Ubre without giving up any of your core pieces you know without giving up og um i know like i've seen a lot of people want to throw og into a don't do that like, og is the key to beating the bucks if you have any shot Thank you, yes. Um, I know he's hit a rough patch. Offensively, he's been pretty disengaged. Yeah. He drifts a bit. Like, his defense has not been as good as it was at the start of the season. But, like, in a series against the Bucks, you 100% need that dude. And, like, your best hope of replicating what you did against Giannis, like, OG needs to be the guy who, at the point of attack, yeah. is guarding him. I think in their first matchup this year, he did by far the best job out of anybody. He's always him. been pretty good against yeah. Giannis. You have to have that. And that's the thing. Like, nobody is nobody is going to just, like, defend Giannis one-on-one and do a yeah. good job of that. It's always going to be a team effort, but you do need that guy who, at the point of attack, like... Who, like, lays kind of, down the, the, like, the molasses for him to get stuck in before <laughs> yes, the rest of the exactly. team, like, comes in. And what you need for that is, like, you need strength and you need, like, a lower center of gravity. Mm-hmm. Like, guys like Siakam, in theory, it's like, oh, he's bigger, you know, Ibaka, like... Too gangly. But, like, yeah. no, like, the guys who've had the most success, at least where the Raptors are concerned, um, guarding Giannis, are, like, P.J. Tucker and Kawhi. Thick right? boys. Like, <laughs> like you... <laughs> sure. Um... And I think it would be a mistake to trade OG for that reason. Like, that's that should be the goal. That's who you're trying to beat. You're trying to get back to the finals. You're trying to win it again. Like, yeah. that's... I just... Maybe it, like, helps you in the short term. Maybe it helps you get to the conference finals. But I think the goal... I think the Raptors have made the goal. Like, they've been good enough to make the goal, get back to the finals. Yeah. And that's what they should be thinking about. And I think it would be short-sighted to trade OG because I think that, that hinders that goal more than anything. 
Yeah, we'll see, man. There's a good chance this is all out of date by the time it posts, uh, but hopefully not. <laughs> and uh, whatever. If, even hopefully if it is. We'll be talking about new Raptor Kelly Oubre. Yeah, and Bogdan Bogdanovich. <laughs> uh, and Patrick McCaw, former Raptor who netted a very good player because of his championship pedigree. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap it up. I have to catch a bus. Thank you so much for tuning in. This was a blast. Joe, uh, find your work at the score at Joey underscore W on Twitter, where you have uh, basic, regular uh, Pacers tweets and whatnot, uh, <laughs> and all that good stuff. And I'm sure some Dame propaganda now that the Blazers are cool and good again. And uh, that'll do it. We'll wrap it up. We'll be back again on, for, I guess, Friday. Yeah, Friday we'll do a trade deadline recap, so stay tuned for that. And uh, Katie's going to jump on the show on Thursday night, too. No, wait, Katie's been on this week already. What am I talking about? I My brain is fried by deadline week. Friday, deadline recap. That'll be it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Subscribe to all the Lockdown shows. Uh, check them out and listen to the Heat show and the Grizzly show and all the shows uh, pertaining to the trades that are going down. And we will talk to you next time with another episode of Lockdown Raptors. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.